You are listening to America's Web Radio, your voice in the matter. Welcome to this week's session of Healthcare Insight. I'm Ron Bachman, and you're on America's Web Radio. Each week, we talk about health insurance, health care at times, but mostly about health insurance. And this week and the past week's sessions, we've been talking about the secrets of health insurance reform. There's a lot of things that can be done by you as an individual. If you're a human resource executive, if you're a benefits manager, there are things that these podcasts should be able to inform you or at least get you thinking about ways that you might be able to provide better benefits for your employees so that they can change their behaviors with some personal responsibility and knowledge. Also, it's very important to put in some sort of mechanism that encourages and reinforces their behaviors. If we can do all that, we can set a national tone for where we ought to go as a country instead of the political debate we find ourselves in, where we're talking about everything for free at a hospital versus a free market that really didn't exist as a free market pre-Obamacare. That's sort of a straw man that's set up. That's not what anybody's talking about going back to. But if you listen to the political pundits, if you listen to the arguments between Republicans and Democrats, it's more like, okay, are we going to have free health care for everybody? And, of course, nothing's free. You're going to wind up with higher taxes, higher assessments of one way or another. And we already have a system with government supports like that. We know that it doesn't work very well. It's called the VA system. Nobody really wants to go into the VA system, which is why we had such scandals in the VA system that have never really been fully resolved. So what we've been talking about are the secrets of health insurance reform, because it's not that difficult. We're not talking about something that is so complex nobody can understand it. The general public can understand. You don't have to be a a benefits manager. You don't have to be an actuary. You don't have to be a healthcare consultant. This stuff is not that difficult. We can all figure out how to move forward by just using our common sense. We all know, for example, that there's a difference between health insurance and health care. Health insurance is how you finance the health care that you get from doctors and hospitals. And health care are the services that are provided to you. So how do you get those services on your terms? How do you get recognized as a consumer where you're given the respect of a consumer with choices and options, alternatives, free market selections that you have in any other product? Now, I know people will say that healthcare is not like any other consumer product, and there are certainly aspects of that are not. But there's an enormous amount of detail within healthcare consumerism where health insurance should be more like a consumer product. The consumer should be in charge. Sometimes it's called consumer-driven because it is the consumer should, should be driving the process. And when you go get medical care, the consumer ought to be the focus, ought to be the one that everybody in the system is trying to satisfy. But you, that doesn't happen today. And I'll give you just a quick example of how things are so different between a retail market and a health care market. In the health care market, 
when you go to see your doctor, where do you go before you get to see the doctor? What's it called? You know what it's called. It's called a waiting room because you sit there and wait. How does it work in real business? In a business world environment, when you go in to see somebody for a meeting, before you go into that conference room, before you meet the uh, executive suite people, or before you meet a manager of a department, or you're making a sales pitch, where do you go in that kind of environment? You don't go to a waiting room. You go to a reception area. Just the difference in those two words tells you all you need to know and how you, as a patient, are not really a consumer. Why? Because you're not really paying most of the bill. We have a third-party payment system. The person and entity that pays the bill for you going to see the doctor or the hospital is typically the insurance company, is typically your employer through a third-party administrator, or maybe the federal government. And when a third party is paying the bill, you're not really the consumer. You're not the one that focuses on. If it was, do you really think when you go into a hospital that you would wait that long to find out if a doctor is going to stop by that day, is going to give your family a report on what the tests showed overnight that were given? You're not the consumer. You're just a patient. And a patient isn't given a lot of respect or attention. So until we empower consumers to pay the bill, or at least a larger portion of the bill, they are never going to be given the respect that they should as a consumer. They'll be continued to be treated as just a patient, a number. Do you think that you would get more attention from the nurses? They're wonderful people. Of course they are. But if you have ever been in an ICU or in a regular hospital bed, you know that nurses have to deal with lots of patients. Even in an ICU, they'll deal with three or four patients. Plus, they've got paperwork. Plus, they've got all sorts of other administrative requirements. So if you're in an ICU, and I've had family members that I've spent more than 24 hours for an entire month every day, seeing to what their needs were because I didn't trust what would happen in that hospital to be sure that my family member was getting the type of care that they needed. What type of care does somebody need in an ICU? Well, recognize that you're in total dependency of those healthcare providers, that nurse, those orderlies that are going around with clean sheets or new water bottles or whatever it is. Well, what happens in the middle of the night? when you've got chills and you just need your blanket pulled up but you're not able to either because your your arms are strapped down or you're too weak and you just need the warmth of a blanket will you try to ring the bell and ask the nurse to come in 20 minutes later? No if you don't have somebody there if you don't have a family member sitting by that bedside you're in total and complete lack of control based upon the providers of care out there and their time schedule and what they're doing. So I guarantee you, I sat in that room 24 hours a day, swapping off with some other family members for over a month with my brother 
trying to be sure that he got the smallest of needs taken care of because those small needs when you're in that situation are so important so that he felt like he was the center of attention for everybody. If he needed some ice, a drink of water, if he had to go to the bathroom, if he was too hot, too cold, those little things for somebody who has never experienced it, never been in the hospital themselves, or never been in there with a, a loved one, a family member, you have no idea how important it is for that individual's well-being and their ultimate recovery to know that somebody is there to help them, that they're not alone, they're not isolated, they're not at the timing of somebody else, that their needs are being taken care of even if they're the smallest of needs because to them that's huge. So what I want to continue to talk about today is how health insurance is so important to get that kind of health care that you need. And if a family member can't do the kind of services I'm talking about, I would highly recommend anybody going into the hospital hire a private duty nurse 24 hours to sit there with the patient, be sure that the right medication is being provided, that the doctor knows that there's somebody there so that when the doctor walks in, somebody can ask the right questions, get the information, and ultimately be able to communicate it back to that patient and family members. Because I can't tell you how many times I've been in the hospital when you don't know when that doctor's coming. And you ask and say, well, maybe sometime this afternoon. And then as a patient, you nap and fall off to sleep. And then the doctor comes in. And then you say, when's the doctor coming in? Well, he was just here a while ago while you were sleeping. But there's no information communicated. Do you really think in any kind of a consumer-driven model, a patient-centered model, that that kind of service would be provided? I'll give you another very simple example of how a patient is not a consumer. If the patient was a consumer, what kind of meals, when you're paying 10, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 for a hospital stay of several days or a week, do you think you'd get the kind of hospital food that is given out? Some hospitals do a little bit better job than others, but most don't. It's certainly not any kind of a gourmet meal. It's kind of a bad high school lunch program meal. But if you're paying that kind of money, wouldn't you expect something better? Couldn't a family member ask for certain specialties or at the call uh, sort of delivery when you're hungry as opposed to when somebody brings it into you? Shouldn't it be like you have room service? Of course, you're not going to get that in any hospital. And if you don't like what you get, do they give you more? Do they give you a different choice? No, they don't. So what I want to continue this discussion around the secrets of health insurance reform is how you and your family members, with your life on the line in many cases, can get the kind of health insurance you want, you need, so that you can get the services, the options, the choices, when you need it, where you need it, and at a price that's affordable. So the last couple of weeks, we've talked about access to care, and the cost of care. What I want to try to talk about today 
We'll get started this hour with talking about the quality of care. There are three areas that any health insurance reform should have to address. Access to care, the cost of care, and the quality of care. Now, we've talked about the access to care and how a good insurance policy, based upon what you need, what you want, will give you access to the right kind of health care. We've also talked about the cost of care. That the cost of care, if we develop a system that we've called personalized health insurance, where people who have the most difficult health conditions, in many ways, if there was any underwriting standards, they would be uninsurable. They have cancer, pre-existing conditions of heart disease. Maybe they've had spinal injuries. Maybe they've had a brain injury. Maybe they're diabetic. All sorts of issues that would lead them to be uninsurable. Those are the people that need the most help. And in personalized health insurance, that's what we do. We stratify the people, which one of the secrets of health insurance reform is that nobody else really wants to talk about stratifying the risks so that we can focus on the people with the highest risks of health concerns and give them the most help and need. And in the past, we've related this to the coronavirus. Where are the people at highest risk and where, what do they need? Well, see, elderly is people in nursing homes, people with comorbid conditions, people with complications that have had the biggest problem with the coronavirus. So we ought to give them the most services, the most help, the most attention, the most testing. And that's what we're doing because that's the right answer. Well, the same thing goes in a broader perspective to health insurance. We need to identify and stratify high risk versus low risk and give the most time and attention to the high risk because that will actually lower the costs for everybody. A diabetic who is well-maintained and is keeping up with their doctor's orders, taking their medication, change their lifestyle, is dramatically lower cost to the overall system, let alone to themselves, than if they don't get that kind of information, help, and support. So let's take a break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to delve in to the quality of care even more. Be right back. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. You're listening to Healthcare Insight. We continue to talk about the secrets of health insurance reform and how you as an individual, buying an individual policy or you as somebody who has control over your group health insurance plan, or you as an individual employee can encourage and support the movement in your own company towards consumer-oriented, patient-centric coverage. They are available out there if you're human resource or just search and listen and understand what some of their options are. Now, we know with health insurance reform, it's probably going to take legislation to get all of the aspects that we've been talking about in this series. But certainly we can move forward with a number of choices, a number of options, either as individuals or I hate to use the word forcing, but highly encouraging 
your benefits manager, manager or your employer or your VP of HR to move more in the direction of consumer-driven healthcare with options that empower you as an individual. Now, we've been talking about the three pillars of any kind of health insurance reform, access to care, cost of care, and a quality of care. I want to start this discussion now around the quality of care. Because the quality of health care starts with good health insurance. Personalized health insurance that we've been talking about these last several weeks means better access to quality care. Again, you have to have good health insurance to get the access to quality care. But better access to quality care means better treatments. You have more options, more choices. You're going to get the better treatment for the condition you're in. And to follow this, what's called a tautology, another step. Better treatments means better health. If you have better treatments, if you have a disease, if you have cancer, and you get the right cocktail to treat that cancer, to kill those cancer cells, you'll have better health. If you get better medications for what your problem and situation is, you'll have better health. If you have a doctor who's better at diagnostics to getting you the right kind of care and treatment, you'll have better health. You know, the Institute of Medicine concluded, and I quote here, health insurance is associated with better health outcomes for adults and with the receipt of appropriate care across a range of preventive, chronic, and acute care services. Adults without health insurance coverage experience greater declines in their health status and die sooner than do adults with continuous coverage, unquote. So it's clear. Better health insurance is associated with better health outcomes and better health care and better health. The ripple effects of being uninsured, as an example, and having poor health are felt throughout society. Give me a few examples. Uninsured children have impaired development and poor school performance. Uninsured children are 70% more likely to go without care for common childhood conditions such as asthma, ear infections, and sore throats. Uninsured children are five times more likely to have an unmet need for medical care each year. The uninsured are 33% less likely to get routine physical examinations and 25% less likely to visit a doctor for an illness. Uninsured women are 36% less likely to get a pap smear and 60% less likely to get a mammogram. Uninsured men are 40% less likely to get a prostate exam. So you can see the idea of being uninsured versus actually being insured, even with any kind of insurance that gets you access to that medical care. It makes a difference in our life, in our livelihoods for the adults that need those kinds of care to be active and productive and get on the job and not be on sick leave. For children, it makes a difference on whether they can go to school and perform well, that they can learn and be educated. 
So uninsured adults have more absences from work, more unscheduled sick days, and greater rates of disability. The 2004 Kaiser Family Foundation study found that societal cost of the uninsured were about $125 billion. Now, that's an old study. It's one of the more complete studies that has ever been done. So I'm sure that that number is probably almost double. It's almost $250 billion if you were to bring those dollars up to today's level of costs. So personalized health insurance, which we've been talking about, is a solution nationally. Personalized because it reaches your needs, covers you and your family the way you want, not the way somebody else wants you to have it. It's not a one-size-fits-all like Obamacare. So personalized health insurance provides specialized treatments for those most in need and improved access to quality care for all. Again, what most people won't tell you is that if you actually stratify risk and recognize people have different health needs and health care needs, we can actually lower the cost for everybody. We can put the time and attention and resources and education for those who are in most need of health care now and educate others as they need it. Find those learning moments when people actually listen to the healthcare needs when they actually have some beginning illness. Now, some people will take the preventive care and the early intervention information, but many people, quite honestly, don't want to think about healthcare concerns until they actually have a healthcare incident. Those are learning moments. That's where we need to provide a lot of help and support, not ignoring the people before that, but helping people when they need it most and helping other people who are healthy to stay healthy. It's a different level of conversation to have with the different groups. So we don't want to throw everybody together. And if we can take those high-cost, high-risk individuals and put them into a separate pool and give them time and attention and resources that they need, their costs will be lowered. And that's where most of the health care costs are. That's that chart we talked about the other week where 1% of the population has 20% of the claims based upon a research study by the Employee Research Institute. That's where we need to focus our time and attention. Now, mental health is a critical part of personalized health insurance as we've been describing it. The 2008 Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act required employers over 50 employees to cover mental health the same as physical health. And not just the description of the benefits in terms of days and visits and lifetime maximums and all that, but the way the services are delivered, the quality and the quantity of services have to be equalized. So it's not just the quantity, but the quality of services, what you allow people to access. Employees and family members enrolled in small groups, though, need the same integrated mental health benefits. Now, some of that has come about under Obamacare, but we need to be certain with any kind of movement to a new health care system, a reformed health insurance system, that we need to be sure mental health is a part of that. Because I will tell you one of the most important things to keep in mind. This is a truism that exists. 
If an employer-sponsored plan does not include a stress management program, it is 100% certain that plan members will have their own stress management program. Likely, it will not be beneficial to the worker's health or productivity. Without a structured stress management program, the most common self-destructive stress reliefs are comfort food, smoking, alcohol, and drugs, none of which support a healthy workforce. So if you're an employee, darn well better get out there and look at what your human resource manager or benefits manager has installed for stress management. Look at what your insurance company has been offering in terms of stress management programs. Because if you don't, your employees, I guarantee you, are under some stress today, whether it's financial stress, whether it's work stress, whether it's health conditions, financial conditions, whatever it is, there are an enormous amount of stressors out there today that are affecting everybody's life. And how we deal with it is critical to whether we have a productive workforce or not. And if you have that, the people will appreciate it with untold returns back to you to be productive and happy and supportive of you as an employer. So it's not just a job. It's somebody who actually cares about them. Now, most employers are beginning to understand the works effects of stress and depression. Few employers fully grasp the debilitating impact on families of things like attention deficit disorder and PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome, and other more complex mental health diagnoses. But what you have to understand is that if you have family members that are being covered it could be a much more significant mental health issue than just stress and depression. I mean, stress and depression for your employees is bad enough. That could lead to marital problems. It could lead to suicides. It could lead to people just not showing up at work. There's all sorts of issues that just stress and depression can do to affect your workforce. But Don't forget about your family members. If you have family coverage, there could be children that are under difficulty with alcohol or drugs or other conditions that are serious and impactful. And I guarantee you that that employee is thinking about their family member, whether it's their spouse or their children. They're concerned when they go on the job if there is no real benefit, if there's no real help available to them, if there's no education that's provided to help deal with the issue that they're struggling with. So it's real important that employers understand the effects of stress and depression. Now we're going to go into a chart in the next session that's going to outline all the corporate costs because it's not just the mental health condition. It's not just the related physical condition. There are corporate productivity costs, and I want to outline those because it's very important for anybody listening to this, especially if you're an employer or any kind of benefit manager, to focus on the mental health part of any kind of health reform package that you're putting together, any kind of benefit package that you're offering to your employees. So let's take a break. You're on America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman describing... The Secrets of Health Insurance Reform. We'll be back in just a minute to continue this discussion. 
The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You can keep your doctor, you can keep your plan, and every family will save thousands of dollars a year. I'm Ellen Deal, and if you've been hurt by the Affordable Care Act, you can email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com to see if we can help. Small business owners, individuals, families, and baby boomers, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com for three easy questions to determine if you can get away from Obamacare. I'm a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry and here to help you for all your insurance needs. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. We're going to continue with the secrets of health insurance reform. We've been talking today about a lot of issues relative to how do we get the kind of health insurance reform that you and your family needs. What we've been talking about here today and most of this session is we've really been talking about the quality of care. How do you get the quality of care that you need? And, of course, the underlying answer is you have to have the right health insurance. You have to have health insurance that you want, that you need, that your family wants, your family needs. Not what some elected official or even worse, an unelected official, a bureaucrat says that you need. You know what your family needs. You know what your budgets are. You know what your health status is. If you want more limited coverage, you ought to be allowed to do that. If you want to have more control over your health care purchases and benefit when you're doing the right health and health care services for yourself and your family. If you're taking care of yourself, then maybe you want an account-based plan, a health savings account, a health reimbursement arrangement, some other mechanism that rewards and incentivizes you so that you can share in any savings that you want. But in the last session, we talked a lot about, and I want to wrap up that part of the quality of care because you cannot have a good quality of care without good mental health benefits. They go hand in hand. You cannot separate mind and body. One of the secrets of health reform is they have to go together. That historically people have thought them different. That, oh, mental health people in health conditions of depression and stress, they just are weak. Pull them up by the bootstraps. Well, the secret is that there are cures that are as effective to dealing with mental health issues as there are with other physical conditions. Medications, 
therapy, cognitive therapy, lots of different types of treatments can actually improve, if not fully recover from various mental health conditions. Now, we said in the last session what we want to talk about here are the costs involved in not dealing with mental health. Now, we talked about the words and recognizing that if you don't have people who are dealing with their stress and depression issues on the job, that you're going to have a lot of problems because they're going to find ways to deal with their stress with alcoholism, drug addiction, and worse, eating disorders. All sorts of things can come about. So let's talk about all the costs, not just those costs that are self-evident in a lot of ways. And one of the things I've been able to do is work with national experts to sort of stratify mental health conditions from low cost to high cost on just the mental health part. And let me give you a couple of examples. In the low cost area, you would have frustration. We all have frustration, anxieties, low stress, minor depression. That's almost where we all live. Almost daily, there's something that frustrates us, whether it's family issues, finance issues, maybe it's on-the-job issues, all sorts of things can frustrate you, and that can cloud your thinking as it moves towards anxiety and stress and depression. It gets worse and more difficult to handle. So as we move into the higher cost areas of just the mental health concerns, we have things like depression, anger, ADD, post-traumatic stress. And as we move into the higher cost, it takes longer to deal with. Things like schizophrenia, bipolar, obsessive-compulsive, panic disorder, anorexia, bulimia. All those things are much higher cost because they take longer to deal with the patients that have those. It may take years of therapy and the right kind of medication it may change their lifestyle. It may change their diet or their how they deal with these issues, how their family deals with individuals with these conditions. But they're serious conditions if you have a family member with any of these diagnoses. You know that it's not easy. It affects the whole family. If one person in the family has a high level of mental health disorder. And let me go to the extreme. The very high cost can be people who are violent. Their mental health condition creates a violence in them that's uncontrollable at times. Not that they're mean people. They just have a mental disorder that creates a level of violence. And ultimately, many of these lead to suicide. I'll give you a quick example of how these higher level mental health disorders can be recognized by you. Because I experienced this in a mental health facility on a board of directors. We were asked to stand up and try to have a conversation with another board member while four or five people surrounded us and just started talking gibberish and throwing out words and kind of distracting us. You try to have a conversation with somebody like that, with all that going on around you, it's, it's impossible. It drives you crazy trying to communicate with somebody when you have all these voices. That's how many people with mental health conditions have to live 24-7. They're trying to communicate. They're trying to reach out. And they've got all this noise in their head that's distracting them, that's causing them to 
look like they're crazy. Looks like they're disoriented. Looks like they don't know how to communicate. And if you had that 24-7, just think what that would do to your whole psyche. How do you operate in any kind of a normal way? You don't. So these are the areas of mental health conditions, some of which have low cost and some which have high cost as far as charges against your mental health and health care plan costs. But there are other conditions, other related physical conditions, because mental health doesn't exist in a vacuum. The physical conditions that can go along with those issues at the low end, you have physical conditions of sleeplessness, tobacco use, alcohol use. Colds and fluvers are more common among people who live in an anxious world, a frustrated world, low stress, minor depression. You have higher blood pressure, that silent killer. So you have physical conditions, some of which may have coverage under your insurance plan, and some don't. But they all have some cost, ultimately, to the individual's health and health care. Now, as you move up the scale in complications of mental health, you have more physical conditions that come into play. As you move up with depression and anger and ADD, you have hypertension, musculoskeletal problems, digestive disorders, gastrointestinal problems. Now, those are areas that your health care program pays for. But you don't really want to pay for those if you're not dealing with your mental health portion of that with stress and anger and ADD or whatever it is. Because without dealing with that underlying mental health condition, you'll never solve and deal with the physical conditions effectively. So the two have to go hand in hand. You have to have a program that recognizes that. You have to have a physician network that recognizes that and has a team approach to dealing with the individual for both their mental health and their physical health issues. Now, in the higher cost areas of major depression, high stress, panic disorder, there are health care issues that most people don't really know about or associate, but there is a correlation. It's not one-to-one. But there is a correlation between those higher level diagnoses for mental health and areas like cardiovascular disease. Even cancers develop. Many times studies have shown that within two or three years after a major mental health condition, major depression, that you'll more likely develop some form of cancer. But you also have areas like diabetes and asthma, back pain, and alcoholism that really comes into play with those higher levels of mental health disorders. And you're going to pay for all that under your health care plan. And finally, when you get to things like violence and suicide, you're going to pay for those under your health care plan as well because you're going to have more accidents, maybe more burn events, maybe more head injuries. All sorts of things can happen. All these are cost to your mental health program outside of the cost of dealing with the mental health. If you tried to deal with them separately, they have to be dealt with together to have a real recovery program, a real solution for anybody's health and mental health issues. You know if you're very sick for a long time, you start to feel depressed. So it can work the other way. Mental health doesn't always cause the physical conditions. The physical conditions can cause the mental health conditions. But you know, that's not all. There's another cost 
That doesn't have anything to do with your HR department. It has to do with the productivity costs or lack thereof within your corporate environment. Because even at the low area of frustration, anxiety, you have sleeplessness as the physical conditions, or more colds and flus, you have more absenteeism. You have more increased errors if somebody's showing up on the job. And you have a loss of teaming. People don't get together because somebody is anxious and not very good teammate. As you work your way up to the more significant mental health and healthcare conditions, you have poor morale, relationship conflicts, and lost productivity. And when you get to the much higher levels of mental health issues and things like on the physical side, cancer, diabetes, cardiovascular, you definitely then have low productivity. People aren't very productive because they're concerned about their health care condition, let alone their mental health status. It's this area where you typically can have divorce. People go through divorce, have major depression many times. How are they going to deal with their future, their lost hopes, their lost dreams of their family? lost children. You have higher turnover rates because people leave their job. They're not happy where they are. They don't know that they can't get help, care, and treatment, so they change jobs. You get key employees. They'll take early retirement just to get out from under all the stress of the job that they're at, thinking that's going to solve the problem, and they don't go and get the care and treatment. Too many people think that it's just a weakness, that they can take care of it themselves. They just got to get away from the job And so they'll take early retirement. But you even have other costs that are part of other insurance programs within your organization. Workers' comp claims will increase, and you pay a premium for workers' compensation insurance. And you have increased disability claims. That's another separate area of health care that most employers provide, a level of disability coverage. And if you get into those violence in accident areas, there's a very high cost on the mental health and the physical side. What about the impact on your organization's productivity? Well, that's where you can have deaths involved. You lose your key employee. You lose your key executive. You have workplace violence. It's that whole thing of somebody coming in the post office and shooting up or going into a school and shooting up. That happens at workplaces. And you don't need that to affect other people as well. If you don't treat the underlying conditions of mental health and the associated physical health areas, you will have other costs. One in particular people ignore and don't realize is disaster recovery. What if you have somebody with some of these mental health issues and they're in charge of your IT systems? They could really mess up your whole computer systems, and you would have the disaster recovery, which hopefully is in place, but they could really wreak havoc with the brains of your entire organization and your computer. Your cyber protection needs to be in place. So I hope I've outlined in a lot of detail the mental health issues, because what I've described is that mental health, physical health, and corporate costs are interrelated. Mental health is not a character weakness. Like most physical illnesses, mental health is a disease and is treatable. As mental health of America axiom states, you cannot have health without mental health. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back for the last 15 minutes. Thank you for staying with us, and we'll see you on the other side of the commercial. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. You're listening to Ron Bachman, and the program is Healthcare Insight. We've been talking about the three pillars of health insurance reform. Every re- 
every program, every reform program has to meet a test of three major areas, cost, quality, and access to health care. Well, we've been talking about that over the last two weeks, and I hope I've outlined in detail how each of those is improved with a process that I call personalized health insurance. How is personalized health insurance different from regular health insurance, from Obamacare, from what we had pre-Obamacare, from what others may be proposing for national health reform? How is it different from Medicare for all? How is it different from the expansion of Medicaid? Well, I'm going to tell you about that right now. The basis of personalized health insurance is you, the consumer, is you when you become a patient. I call it personalized health insurance because it is targeted to you as an individual. You are unique. Your family is unique in its needs. You have different health and health care issues. You have different health and health care knowledge. You have different health and health care support systems. And all of that needs to be taken into account when you buy health insurance. Just like buying a stock, when you buy a stock on the stock market, if you go to a, a broker, a stock broker, they're going to ask you questions. Well, what's your risk tolerance? How much money have you got to invest? How much money are you trying to earn off of your investment? What type of investments are you comfortable with? Is it strictly stocks? Is it bonds? Is it private equity? Is it short sales? Long sales? Puts? Calls? What's your knowledge level for investing? What's your income level? What's your tolerance for losing money? What are your retirement plans? All those questions and many more are going to be asked of you if you try to invest in the stock market. Well, the same thing ought to be true about health insurance. What's your risk level? What's your tolerance? How much money do you want to put aside? How, what kind of deductible and cost-sharing features can you handle outside of an insurance program? Do you need a temporary insurance policy or do you need a more permanent coverage? Are you covered by an employer and you need some supplemental coverage? Or do you get good coverage through your employer? And if you're getting it through your employer, do you have an ability to put some money aside into a health savings account? If you have an employer account coverage, are you able to take certain actions to get rewards or incentives to build up your health savings account for doing the right things as opposed to just writing a check and putting more, more money into that account? So there's lots of issues. Everybody is different. So we need to have personalized health insurance. But a key aspect of personalized health insurance that we've been describing the last few weeks has a different element than almost any other proposal or any other healthcare system that we've had before. And the key is risk profiling and risk stratification. The healthier people don't need as much insurance as people who are sick or planning or expecting to get sick. 
have elective surgeries, maybe more accident prone. So if you're younger versus when you're older, you have different needs, just like you would stock investments. So we need to stratify the risks. Not that there's 20 different categories, but you ought to have the right, the ability to associate with others of a similar health risk. And that's especially true if you have poor health. Because under personalized health insurance, the whole key, the difference between what I've been talking about and what almost anybody else out there is offering is that the sicker you are, the more help you get. The sicker you are, the more care you're going to get. The sicker you are, the more information you're going to get on what you can do to stabilize your situation, to improve and hopefully recover. And if we recognize those people and put them into a single category where we can give them the kind of help and support, whether those individuals are diabetics, congestive heart failure, cancers, whatever, there ought to be a whole stream of programs to help each and every one of those people who are at high risk and potentially high cost to follow the doctor's orders, to get the information they need, to change their lifestyle, to get the care and treatment that they deserve. And if we do that, their costs are going to be dramatically lower. As we've said over and over again, about 1% of the population has 20% of the cost. And there are only 2 or 3% of the population that are truly uninsurable that would fall into that category in a broader sense. So that could be even more than 20% of the cost. As a result, we will lower the cost for those individuals. And those individuals, because they are high cost, are going to need some level of subsidy. But we don't just throw government money at that pool of people. We throw subsidies, but we throw more support to those people. We give them all the care and support and programs that they need with whatever their health condition is. And it will lower their cost dramatically. A diabetic who takes care of themselves doesn't have to be re-hospitalized frequently, doesn't have to have their feet cut off or foot amputated. They don't go blind and have to have those kinds of surgeries. It's all sorts of costs that come from these high-level chronic persistent conditions that are left untreated. So we have to pull those people aside, not to stigmatize them, not to say you're so unhealthy we're going to put you into this category and then ignore you. We're going to pull them into a category and give them more help and care than anybody else gets because they need it and they need it now. And the reality is that if we do that, the rest of the population, the rest of the risk population is much, much lower because we pulled out the high risks. So that lower risk doesn't need a subsidy. They're already lower because we pulled out the high cost individuals. So as a result, we get lower premiums. And what's the benefit of lower premiums under this personalized health insurance approach? The benefit of lower premiums is the people who are uninsured are now more able to afford insurance, in particular small groups, where the largest number of working poor don't have insurance because their employer does not sign them up because the employer thinks it's too costly for their organization. So by lowering the cost of group insurance, small group insurance, 
the under 50 life employer marketplace. We'll have more employers getting the benefit to their employees and to those family members of having health insurance. The employer will benefit because they'll have more productive, healthy employees. The employees will benefit because they'll be more productive and and a better benefit to the whole family and community as well as the workplace. And the real key to all this is that instead of having government subsidies, which we've now focused on those high cost, we'll have more employer subsidies, which is the right thing to do because the employer is also going to benefit. They're willing to subsidize. Every survey I've ever participated in or seen shows that employers who offer up insurance will subsidize those costs, usually at least 50% of the cost, which means that it is affordable to that employee because the employee is only paying half the cost. So that's a better system of getting employer contributions than throwing more government money at it because that employer contribution is going to be there regardless of how much the individual pays, whereas government programs, many times the subsidies for government programs goes away the more money you earn. So it discourages people from making more money. So in doing all this, how do you create a political consensus around this? Well, developing a political consensus for the personal personalized health insurance will require all affected stakeholders to gain from some legislation if that's the route we have to go. The main initiative for developing a buy-in to personalized health insurance is to establish some sort of a health care consensus that is addressing the most pressing needs of each stakeholder. And there are a lot of stakeholders. That's why everybody tries to say this is so complicated. Legislation must meet their needs and allow them to function in a new and more effective consumer-directed and patient-centered marketplace. Now, it's not going to be easy. Even with its flaws, some stakeholders are benefiting from Obamacare and the current status quo. Other people are just fearful of political promises and change. They don't like change. I don't like what I got, but it's the devil I know versus the devil I don't know. So all stakeholders have to be involved, but the consumer should be at the forefront. For many, access to affordable health care starts with that affordable health insurance. So you have a number of entities. Consumers are concerned about pre-existing conditions, increased choice, improved quality, and lower costs. Hospitals are worried about minimizing uncompensated care, getting people in an emergency room who don't have any insurance. Doctors are worried about tort reform and lessening uh, the need for defensive medicine to stave off lawsuits. Insurers want a stabilized marketplace. They want to expand their client sales and their product base. They need to have more competition in that part of the marketplace, that's for sure. Employers want affordable health insurance. We've described how small employers in particular can get lower cost coverage under personalized health insurance. And of course, agents and brokers and other stakeholders want more commission sales. So lower cost means we can sell more people and they'll actually get more commissions, even though they may get less commission on each individual sale. And the 28 million uninsured out there today, they want guaranteed access to affordable coverage. And that is one of the key underlying factors and secrets of how personalized health insurance actually works. So we can move forward with this. With no consensus for a free market solution, Obamacare upended the entire market by and forced over 200 million people into various government-controlled programs with burdensome laws, rules, and regulations. So you can't take 
a straw man out there and say we have no solution and then put in something that has too many controls. Consumers need to keep their doctors or their insurance policies is what we were told, but that was a lie. To a large degree, politicians exploited the failures of the old system to pass and implement the ACA, Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. Republicans failed to offer or coalesce around a viable alternative. Clearly, private market solutions exist. We've just been describing in detail one that does. And it's better than Obamacare, and it's better to reform the individual and small group markets than anything else. Personalized health insurance is a solution ready to go today. It can be done at state level, it can be done at the federal level. But it is a solution today that you can demand part of that solution from your employer. But only a coalition of all the stakeholders and winning the public trust will give us the solutions family need at the national level with new legislation. So let's continue this dialogue. There's other details we'll get in next week as to how all this can work, what a certificate of guarantee coverage is, what the the Health um, Review Association is, why insurance companies would voluntarily participate, what's their benefits, and what are they losing out on. We'll get in all that next week, so come back. There's a lot more of this story to tell and how it all works. Have a good week. We'll see you next week. This is Ron Bachman signing off from America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.